so again, bear with me as we are uh, trying to get everything set up. We um, definitely appreciate you kind of hanging out with us here for a few minutes. I know you saw my head just bouncing around and looked like I was typing, um, trying to get uh, everything set up um, as we uh, had to uh, broadcast from our home this morning uh, due to a need to disinfect our sanctuary as a precautionary uh, measure. Uh, so this morning we won't have the full service. Uh, I just wanted to share a word with you from the Lord. Um, prayerfully, by the grace of God, we'll be back in the sanctuary this coming Sunday and uh, do the best we can to live stream. We're still also trying to work through our uh, camera situation at the church uh, so that we can uh, live stream. But I just wanted to take a moment this morning to, to share something with you that God has placed on my heart. Uh, I was up until the wee hours of the morning talking to the Lord about this. And uh, for some of you, this may seem, um, for lack of a better word, I've been accused at times of being harsh um, or, you know, not real soft. And um, it's never my intent to bring harm um, or to hurt feelings in a sense, but the Word of God can be critical. And sometimes when the Word of God is critical, uh, as we apply that Word to our lives, we you know, may see things from a different perspective and then uh, begin to uh, analyze ourselves. And sometimes doing that, you, you don't like some of the things you see or you realize about yourself. But let's get into the Word. I, I want to uh, come from uh, the topic, and this this <laughs> this may sound one way, but it's, uh, I can guarantee you it's not the way you're thinking. Um, I want to come from the topic, being a salty saint, being a salty saint. Now, I know in the English language sometimes uh, salty is not a good thing, uh, but today, from the foundation of God's Word, uh, we want to talk about why being a salty saint is a good thing. Um, we're coming out of the book of Leviticus, the second chapter, the 11th through the 13th verse, uh, where the word of the Lord reads, No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. As for the oblation of the first fruit, ye shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. In every oblation of thy meat offering shall thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. I want to let you in as we get into the word of God quickly today on a wonderful secret about how uh, we can understand or bring the Bible, the Word of God, into context. Now hear what I'm saying. There is a key to understanding uh, the Word of God. And that key to understanding the Word of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the Bible is about Jesus. Not just the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, but all of it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus didn't just show up in Matthew when we started talking about his earthly birth. 
Jesus has been in the Bible since the first words of the Bible, and he is in the Bible all the way through until the last words of the Bible in the book of uh, Revelation. He's there in prophecy, he's there in type, and he's there in illustration. Somehow, somewhere in the shadows, you're going to find Jesus as you're reading the word of God. Uh, in fact, as we're looking for heroes in this day, Jesus is the hero of the Bible. It's all about him. It's his book. It's a him book. It's not a book uh, that we would like it to be in the sense that it details everything about God or everything about life or everything about uh, uh, creation or all these different things. It is a book that is designed to reveal Jesus. It's about him. And if you read the Bible and you don't see Jesus in it, from the beginning to the end, you probably need to reread it again. Now that is true also about the Levitical offerings, uh, especially that we're gonna get into today. We're gonna talk about uh, what was referred to as the meal offering or the meat offering, uh, but it does not mean flesh. It just simply means food or a food offering. And, and notice in the text, uh, in the 11th verse, it says, No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. It shall not be made with leaven. Now, as you're taking notes or as you're, you have your Bible open, I want you to underscore that uh, phrase. It shall not be made with leaven. Because this is really important to us as believers. For ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. So no leaven and no honey. You need to underscore that. Uh, notice also in verse 13, and every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. So it's important. In, in no offering shall there be leaven, in no offering shall there be honey, but in every offering there must be salt. I want you to think about yourself. I need to be a salty saint uh, because this is what God is, is trying to teach us, trying to open our minds to understand. You need to be salty. My wife fusses at me all the time because sometimes I put a little bit too much uh, salt on my food after it's cooked. Um, now I've got an argument for her. I'm just trying to be a salty saint. Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all pray for me. Now this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what God is telling us uh, through his word is that when he talks about there not being any leaven or there shall be no leaven what he's saying that is Jesus is to pre be presented in his purity that is that Jesus um, is to be connected with uh, the the righteousness of who he is so in the Bible leaven is always connected to sin Leaven is yeast, and it speaks of fermentation and corruption. It speaks of that thing which puffs up and inflates, just like sin. And it's used in the Bible as an emblem or a symbol. It's symbiotic of sin. And so what he's saying is that Jesus Christ, when he is presented to the world, has to be presented with no leaven, or he has to be, pre be presented in his purity that is his absence of sin. Well, what about the honey? Well, um, it's kind of important to talk about the honey as connected to the sin 
or the leaven as well. Honey speaks of excessive and external sweetness. It speaks of natural sweetness, external sweetness, and excessive sweetness. And what he's saying here is that when we present the Lord Jesus Christ, not only are we to present him in purity, but we need to present him without the excess sweetness or all the things that we add to uh, make Jesus better uh, in our attempt. That's what we're trying to do, make him better or more palatable or pliable uh, to uh, a varying audience. What the Bible is teaching us is that we need to present him in his purity and the sweetness is connected to presenting him in integrity. So he doesn't need to be artificially sweet. He doesn't need excessive or external things added to him to make him better. We need to present him just as he is. And then he says that we're to present the Lord Jesus with much salt. Not a little salt, not some salt, salt, but with much salt. Now, salt in the Bible speaks of or is connected to life, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, have salt within yourselves. That's in Mark 9, 50. Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, you are the salt of the earth. That's in the 13th verse. And salt speaks of the saving, purifying, sanctifying life of our Savior. It speaks of vitality. And so what we find here is that we're to present the Lord Jesus, number one, in purity, that's without leaven, number two, with integrity, that's without all the added sweeteners, and number three, with vitality, that's full of salt. So keep this in mind as I begin to endeavor to speak to you today from God's word, uh, and you know we all learn better how we are to present God, both verbally and in our living. Number one, we're, we're, we're going to talk, focus a little bit more on presenting the Lord without uh, leaven or impurity. So first of all, that's our goal. That's our mission is to present Christ without sin. We are to present him in his purity. Now, as I've already told you, leaven is the thing that corrupts. It's the thing that uh, puffs up. But leaven works very quietly, very stealthily, and almost undetected at first. It works best, actually, in lukewarm conditions. You wonder why God says, I'd rather you hot or cold. Uh, I don't like lukewarm. Uh, I remember a scene from a movie, uh, the prayer closet, or the war, war closet, or war room, uh, whatever they had, talking about prayer. And uh, one of the stars in the movie presents a cup of coffee to another one of the stars. And she you know, takes a sip of it and wants to spit it out. And so you don't like it too much because it's lukewarm. It's neither hot nor cold. And you'll find that it's in the lukewarm that sin works best. Or in this case, leaven, uh, it, it permeates the church of, of God. Uh, Jesus warned us about three kinds of leaven. In the Bible, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Matthew 16, 11, and 12 is where you'll find that reference. And then he says in Mark, beware of the leaven of Herod. And you'll find that in Mark 8 and 15. Now, three kinds of leaven that Jesus said to look out for, the leaven of Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, and the leaven of Herod. Uh, we need to kind of uh, reopen those up and kind of walk them out a little bit, as, as Elder Marshall would say all the time. Let's walk this out. So let's think, first of all, about the leaven of the Pharisees. 
What was the leaven of the Pharisees? Who were the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were a religious sect in the time of Jesus. And they were very pious, very religious. And the leaven of the Pharisees is this ugly word that we call legalism. One of the things that, if, if anyone knows anything about me that I'm focused on teaching, is less religion and more relationship. Less dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's, so to speak, and more relational standing, understanding our relationship and the process of restoration is about restoring relationship between God, our Creator, our Holy Father, and us. And He does this through His Son. But legalism is the leaven of the Pharisees, or the leaven that God is referring to when He talks about, or when Jesus is referring to when He talks about, don't have the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are legalists. And if you were to ask a Pharisee if they believe the Bible is the Word of God, they would say yes. If you were to ask them, do they believe in the inerrancy of the Bible? If they understood the word inerrancy in, in their time, they would also say that they believe that the Bible is inerrant, meaning that um, they wholly, uh, fully support what the Bible says. But you'll find that Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees, and it appeared that the message of the Pharisees was not necessarily the same message as Jesus. Um, they had their heads full of scripture, but their hearts ultimately were full of sin. They had religion, but they didn't have relationship or reality. They had laws, but they didn't have life. They were very careful. They you know, dotted every I, crossed every T, but they couldn't spell the word love. They didn't know the meaning of Christ. They didn't know what Christ was really here to do. They didn't even recognize that for all that they knew of the Word of God, that before them, here was the Word manifest, here was the fulfillment of prophecy, here was the Savior that they had been longing and looking for. They didn't have the love of Jesus in their hearts. They were the most pitiful, actually, of all people, because Jesus says in Matthew 23 and 15, they cross heaven and earth to make a proselyte, and when they do, he's twice fold a child of hell. Legalism uh, is not the answer to our dilemma. Legalism is not going to help us uh, bring the world into control. I want you to know that I'm a, a, a conservative. I, I'm wholeheartedly a conservative, Bible-believing uh, Christian. I believe all of the Bible. I don't make an apology for believing the Bible. Uh, I don't make an apology for believing that the Bible is absolutely 100% correct. I don't believe that, uh, I'm, or I'm not going to make an apology for believing of, in the inerrancy of, of the Holy Scripture. I believe that the Bible is inerrant, it is infallible, and it is impeccable. I believe that it is 100% absolutely true, and if Fifth, fifth Third Bank can give you 167%, then I believe that the Bible is 167% true. Uh, I believe that God gave it from cover to cover. None of it was given by man. It was all given by God. Uh, I believe that all scripture uh, is given by the inspiration of God. And biblically, uh, as you uh, assess me, uh, I'm actually a conservative, but I'm not a legalist. 
I pray that God, uh, you know, get me where I need to be and save me, keep me from ever becoming a, a, a legalist or one that is that pounds or, or, or preaches legalism rather than restored relationship. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is legalism. Legalism is not what we need in the world today. The Bible is a wonderful sword, but it is a terrible club, and we can't never forget that. Then he goes on talking about the leaven of the Sadducees. Now you say, well, that sounds to me like you're against legalism rather than liberalism. Well, actually, in essence, I'm against both of them. I, I want you to know that legalism and lib liberalism are heads and tails of the very same coin. It's just a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, but he also says, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Now, who are the Sadducees? Well, uh, they're, they're another group in the time of Jesus, or what we would coin today a denomination. You know, we got a lot of denominations out there uh, in the world today, but they were another denomination of that day, uh, a political sect of that day, and the Sadducees were the liberals uh, of that time period. Now you say uh, to yourself, why do you call Sadducees liberals? Well, let me tell you how the Bible describes the Sadducee, and then you'll understand why I refer to them as the liberals of that day. In fact, in Acts chapter 23 and verse 8, it says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. That's Acts 23 and 8. Now, the, the Pharisees were very orthodox. They said that there is a resurrection, angels and spirits and all of this stuff. But the Sadducees would say that they don't believe any of that stuff, that the, Sad the Sadducees were so sophisticated that they could not grapple in their thinking any such thing. They didn't believe in the supernatural elements of the Bible. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in the angelic host. They were what we would refer to as a classic liberal. In a confrontation with the Sadducees, Jesus says this to them, and it's a key verse in Matthew uh, the 22nd chapter and the 29th verse, Jesus answered and said unto them, ye do error. That is, you're making a great mistake, not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. Now listen to what I'm saying. If you want a recipe for a, a liberal, that's it right there. You error. That is the issue with a liberal. They error. Jesus said, number one, because you don't know the scriptures, and number two, you don't know the power of God, you error. Now you see, the, the Pharisees believe the Bible, but they don't obey the Bible. But the Sadducees did not obey the Bible because they did not believe the Bible. And because of that, Jesus says you error. You don't understand scripture and you don't understand the power of God. Every liberal has difficulty with two things, the word of God and the power of God. Now, they call themselves theologians, these liberals, but they don't know God. They don't know the God of the word. I'm talking about a classic liberal. He doesn't know God. You see, a, a, a theology uh, is derived from two words, theos, meaning God, and logos, the word. We get lologi, uh, lologi uh, which means the word. So the word logos and theos put in 
putting them together, you have the word theology or God and word. So the God of the word and the word of God uh, is what they deny. They deny the God of the word and they deny the word of God. So why do they call themselves theologians? That's a great question. They're just like grape nuts. Uh, they're neither grapes nor they're nuts. They're just grape nuts. They have no right to call themselves theologians. And Jesus says they err. And it's important we understand that. You don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. And when you lack that knowledge, you err. Now, people have difficulty with miracles like the resurrection. If you can get past Genesis number one, the rest of it is all right. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1 and 1. After that, it's all downhill. You just accept the fact that there is God, and he's created everything that there is. I mean, you're not going to have any difficulty with any kind of miracle if you can understand and accept that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You're not going to have any difficulty with uh, anything that comes after that. But you see, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of these Sadducees. Liberalism has left us a terrible legacy. Let me quote a man by the name of Dr. J. Sidlow Baxter. Uh, he says, in the space of a century, liberalism has turned Protestant Christianity into a graveyard, a graveyard of former glad certainties and soul-saving verities of expired beliefs, perished hopes, and lost faith and vanished assurance of buried ideals and murdered morals. That's the legacy of, liberal, of liberalism. Now we have these uh, liberalists in our pulpits today who feel that if we tell them that you ought to preach certain doctrines or especially if you're going to teach in some type of religious school, that they feel somehow we're taking away their freedom. We're not taking away any of their freedom because they're free to teach anywhere they want to teach, but they should be teaching what the Lord says. Now, J.B. Gambrell, who was the former president of Mercer University from 1893 to 1896, he says this. Now, listen to this. This is very significant. He says, there have appeared men in these latter days who feel persecuted if they are not allowed to enter pulpits established to uphold a given set of principles and there overthrow the very doctrines the church is set to defend. Men who do not preach and accept doctrines of, uh, of, of God have no right to be standing in God's pulpit. And it's no uh, abridgment of their rights nor any persecution to keep them from preaching from God's pulpit. We are under no sort of obligation to furnish heretics with means to subvert the truth. And reading this, I really like this. Now, this, this gentleman was of the Baptist denomination, and he was pointing that really more towards the Baptist theology, uh, but it's so paramount for uh, all of Christianity today. You know, I've often said Jesus didn't come to establish denominations. He came to restore relationship of the body of Christ. There are many members in the body of Christ, but there is only one body of Christ. There's not multiple denominations or multiple bodies. There's only one body. And I like what he says. Now, he doesn't just talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He also talks about uh, Herod. Uh, 
not having the leaven of Herod. So Jesus warns us against this loveless leaven of legalism, and he warns us against this leaven of liberalism. And when he warned us against the leaven of Herod, uh, there's something very specific that he's trying to get our attention to. Herod was a worldly, pleasure-mad king. And the leaven of Herod is not legalism, it's not liberalism, but it's plain old worldliness or uh, licentiousness. And, and this is another problem among the denominations in the Christian faith. We hear a lot today about the separation of church and state. And I believe we need to hear a little more about the separation of the church and the world. We need to understand that the Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter and the 17th verse. Too often, the church looks just like the world. And when the world comes to the church, all they find is not a resemblance or an image of God or Christ. They find a reflection of themselves. And if I'm just going to look at myself, I might as well go somewhere else. The ways of the world are invading the very sanctuary of God. We, we, we look around Christendom and, and we see that there's laxness in our morals and a breakup because of it of our family structure and homes. Uh, worldliness uh, of people is a very tragic condition. It's the leaven of Herod, and it has secularized uh, many in the body of Christ. Now, Jesus, when he was speaking to the Herodians, he says this, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God. That's Matthew, uh, the 22nd chapter, the 21st verse, Mark, the 12th chapter, the 17th verse, Luke, the 20th chapter, and the 25th verse. Now, the Herodians somehow had tried to commingle the things that belonged to Caesar and the things which belonged to God. The church of Jesus Christ cannot, must not ever be identified. Now, watch this. We're in a political season, but the church of our Lord and Savior should not be identified with a political party, with a political ideology, with a political position. The church needs to be free to tell the Republican, needs to be free to tell the Democrat, and needs to be free to tell the independent, you all need to repent and get right with God. Now, all of us, the church, we, we can never ever uh, depend or use the power of government for spiritual goals. Now, listen to me. The government may protect us, but it cannot ever improve us. It can't improve us morally, and it cannot improve us spiritually. And the government must be left free to do what alone the government can do. And so the church needs to be left free to do what the church alone can and must do. And God forbid that we get identified with the leaven of Herod or with worldliness. Always remember, remember the difference between the church and the state. The church is here to minister God's grace. The state is here to minister God's justice. The church is uh, here to expose evil. The state is here to restrain evil. The church is to carry out the Great Commission. 
The state, when it is working properly, allows us to live in peace and freedom that we might carry out that very commission that God has given us. The church in her scope is international and it's eternal. The state in her scope is only national and it's temporal. And we are uh, to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God. Now we need to tell the Democrats and we need to tell the Republicans and we need to tell the independents if they want our vote, they need to understand we're not going to vote for a party, we're not going to vote for a pocketbook, we're not going to vote for personality, we're going to vote on principle and we're going to find our principle in the word of God. My vote will be founded upon the word of God. And we're here to tell the, the Herods of this world that Herod is not king, that Jesus Christ is the only king, and he's sitting on the only throne. And we believe uh, in the right of every freeborn American to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And our Caesar is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, in case our government has forgotten. Therefore, uh, I will participate in things that are governmental, such as voting, but while I participate, I will bring Jesus uh, into the mix because I belong to Jesus more than I belong to the government. Now, let me say this while I'm in uh, this neighborhood for a minute. Because I believe in our religious freedom and inalienable right that's given to us by God, not by the Constitution, but by God, I believe in the right to pray in the church, and I believe in the right to pray in our home, and I believe in the right to, play in, to pray in any place of business, and I also believe in the right to pray in schools. Now, you listen to what I'm saying. I do not believe in, and I'm against, uh, with all my heart, any kind of state-written, state-mandated prayer for anybody. I'm against that. But at the same time, I'm in favor for every freeborn American to pray anytime, any place they want, and not only silently, but vocally. Uh, people may say, well, you can pray silently. Well, you can do that in a Russian concentration camp if you want, but we are not uh, uh, given freedom of speech, and our freedom of speech should never be abridged. We're here to say we're free to pray, and we're here to say that no one should be coerced or forced to pray. I believe this with all my heart. I believe in the God-given gift of free will, and my free will should not be impeded. If God is not going to impede it, then man should not impede it. Now, I, I, I want, I want to uh, bounce off of the leaven just for a minute and touch on the honey, uh, because uh, Jesus is talking, or the word of God is talking about leaven, but he also talks about uh, honey. Um, and, uh, and when we're presenting God, we have to be able to present him, or Jesus, we have to be able to present him without honey. Uh, in other words, you don't have to flavor coat Jesus, just pre present him in his integrity. Now, we are to urge or, and, and purge out leaven, um, you know, which is all the, the worldly things, the worldly principles, the worldly powers, and we are to present Jesus uh, as he is in purity with no leaven, but we're also supposed, supposed to present Jesus um, in integrity. Now, what is honey? Honey 
is excessive and external sweetness. Now, we have the prophets of the honey god living among us. Those who just think that there are no real problems, and if we just take enough honey and you know, kind of pour that honey over our problems, all of our problems will somehow just go away. These are the prophets of sweetness and the prophets of covering. They have a confectionary conviction. They preach a candy Jesus. They preach a religion that does not want to face facts. They want everything to be just sweetened up. These are the people that are always talking about love. They only talk about love. They, that's all they know is love. Now, God is love. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't any, anyone say to themselves that I, didn't, that I said that God isn't love. The Bible says that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 16 tell you I know where it's at. God is infinite love, as a matter of fact. And if you're going to be truthful, he is actually inexpressible love. His love is unfathomable and eternal. It's a love that we can't even grapple to begin to understand in the context of our limited uh, mind uh, ability. And thank God that he is that love. Uh, God is absolutely love. But uh, let me tell you the truth. He's not only love. That's not all that God is. That's not the whole truth. God is also justice. God is also truth. And when you say God is love and, that, and that's all that God is, then what you're doing is, is you're taking part of the truth away. And when you take part of the truth and make part of the truth all of the truth, the part of the truth that you've made all of the truth in actuality became, becomes untrue. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? If you just simply make part of the truth, the total truth, then you get a skewed idea or a truth that is based upon somebody's agenda. And you see, God is also a God of justice. God is a God of love. He's a God of peace. He's a God of justice. He's a God of truth. Now, people might say to themselves, don't take, you shouldn't take a stand for doctrine. Just be full of love, be full of love. Now, you ought to be full of love, but what does the Bible say? The Bible says, speak the truth in love. That's in Ephesians 4 and 15, if you're looking for it. Now, there's never any competition between truth and love. You ought to speak the truth in love. Now, there are two dangers. Number one, is a loveless truth, and the other is a truthless love. Speak the truth in love. You can't just simply take the honey and pour it over your situation and then say everything is going to be all right. We're going to have to face the situations that we're in. We have these modern-day honey prophets who minimize sin, who humanize man, and glorify rebellion against God with a tendency toward universalism that would try to air, uh, that would try to uh, bring air conditioners into hell and explain away the devil and tell us that eventually everybody's going to heaven. Well, I've got some news for you. You know, you, you ought to just start thinking to yourself that hell is not increasing itself because everyone's going to heaven. Uh, your religion, uh, just as good as my religion, 
it's more than just dotting I's and crossing T's. I've said this before. I believe that we have some in America, and, and if they could vote on it, they would outlaw hell and rule hell as cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, they would say that God, in fact, is un-American, that he has no right to do or to have a place uh, like hell that people are going to go who reject the love of God. Now, I want God's people to be together. I believe we ought to be together. But Jesus did not put the highest priority on unity. I talk about unity, and unity is important, but the highest priority or the, uh, the, um, uh, the highest priority wasn't put on unity. He puts a priority on it, but he says, I came not to send peace, but the sword. That's in Matthew 10 and 34. Now you think about that for a minute. Jesus not only is the great unifier of believers in him, but he's also the great divider of those who don't believe in him. He's the one who separates the sheep from the goats. Read your Bible, Matthew 25, 32 through 33. I told you some of you might not like me today. He said, I came to send a sword. I want God's people to be united. But now listen, and, and you need to listen well. If you don't hear anything else that I'm saying today, I, I want you to hear this. God's people, uh, the people of this church, the people of our denomination, we ought to be united. But it's far better that the church be divided by truth than to be united in error. Now understand, we can't just simply take honey and cover everything with honey and just say that it's all sweet, that it's all good. The world has in actuality lost its respect and reverence for the church and the preacher who's preaching a saccharine gospel and a church that's dying because of the excessive sweetness of uh, diabetes. We have diabetic saints that are suffering because we have excessively poured sweetness over their life and telling them that everything's going to be okay and because of it they're not dealing with their issues and because they're not dealing with their issues their very issues are killing them. Now so how are we supposed to present the Lord Jesus Christ? Well the Bible tells us it says present him with much salt. Uh, that means in vitality. Now, I'm moving towards my clothes, so don't worry. Uh, I'm not going to labor you much longer. There's a time when we uh, present the Lord Jesus Christ, number one, in purity. And number two, we present the Lord Jesus Christ in integrity uh, as he is. Uh, we don't ever, uh, you know, cover up, you know, the stuff that we don't like with honey to make it more palatable for us. But we are to present the Lord in vitality. That's with much salt. Now, salt speaks of the saving life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does salt do? Well, let me just give you a couple points on what salt does, and then I'll get out your way. The first thing that salt does is it decontaminates. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth in Matthew 5 and 13. You are the decontaminant of the earth. He was speaking to fishermen who preserved their fish with salt. Salt preserves the fish. It gives it life. So for one thing, and, and very importantly, salt decontaminates. There's a purifying element to salt. It's the salty ocean 
that bathes the shores of this world that keeps the earth from decaying and putrefying. If you took the salt out of the ocean, everything would turn to a stench. It would die. It's, it's salt that brings purification. Now, I want to tell you, you need decontamination of, the, of that salty gospel in our world today. You need to be the salty saint that's bringing decontamination into your home, into your school, and into your job. You need to think of what has happened. Uh, you know, in the year 1963, public prayer was outlawed in our schools. In 1973, nine black-robed Supreme Court justices declared that abortion was okay. And since that time, America has been flooded and stained with the blood of millions of little babies. 1.4 million people, uh, or a little more than 1.4 million people have died in all of the wars that America uh, has fought since the beginning of this nation. But we've got 20 plus million little pre-born Americans that have died. Now, did you know that suicide among teenagers is on the rise? As a matter of fact, uh, in the last quarter of the, our, of the previous century, 150% uh, is what was the increase of teenage suicide. 150% young people killing themselves. Uh, it, it's time for the salt to get into the world, into the earth, and to begin the process of decontamination. Did you know that two-thirds of all of our high school graduating seniors have reported that they have experimented in illegal drugs? I'm talking about two out of every three uh, teenagers have touched and fooled around with some type of drug. I I'm talking about uh, a, a, a pandemic that's worse than the pandemic of COVID-19. In America, uh, that there are one million uh, high school girls, uh, teenage girls, that get pregnant. It's time for the salt to begin the process of decontamination. We live in a society that's seen sodomy go from a sin to a sickness to a social accepted practice. It's time for the salt to get to work. Listen and hear what I'm saying to you. Uh, you really need to understand what's wrong in America. You say that the problem of America is the media. Well, it ain't the media. You say that the problem with America is Hollywood. No, it ain't Hollywood either. You might think that the problem with America is the liquor store and the drug dealer. Well, I'm here to tell you, it ain't got nothing to do with the liquor store and it ain't got nothing to do with the drug dealer. Some of you think that it's the pornographer, uh, but I'm here to tell you, it ain't got nothing to do with the pornographer. You say, well, then it's the liberals. No, it's not the liberals. You know what the problem is in America? The problem in America is saltless saints. That is the problem that is in existence in America. Saltless saints. It's saints who have lost their saltiness. That's where the problem is. That's where uh, our issues in, in this great nation are deriving from. We've become a salt that's lost its, save, uh, its savor. Jesus said, you are to be the salt 
of the earth. Now, something else that salt does. Let me get back to us saltless saints here in a minute. Uh, salt activates. Not only does it decontaminate, but it activates. It's, it is salt that causes the uh, burst of flavor in your mouth. Salt brings out flavor. The Bible says in Job 6 and 6, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? You see, there ought to be a zest about us. There ought to be a flavor about us. There ought to be something about us that brings flavor to life. Do you know why many people don't go to Sunday school and why they don't go to churches across America? They don't go to our churches and they don't go to Sunday school and they don't listen to us online. Why? Because they're bored to death. Do you know why preachers preach boring sermons? They preach uh, boring sermons because the preachers themselves are bored. It's the bland leading the bland. Jesus said you are the salt or you are the flavor of the earth, Matthew 5 and 13. We need a burning, blazing, passionate, emotional love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not like me now, but what I'm telling you is the word of God. Something else that salt does, it decontaminates, it activates, and salt medicates. And not only does it do uh, uh, the decontamination and the activation, but it medicates. Salt heals. There's a healing property in salt. And I can show you instances in the Bible where God used salt to heal. Uh, our world is sick. It's sick. This nation is sick. Uh, everything that's going on is because of the sickness that's uh, running rampant in this country. And what it needs is an antiseptic. And the antiseptic is the gospel. It's the gospel that's needed to heal this nation and to bind up them that are broken. I don't have the time today to get into uh, how this salt, how the saltiness of the saint can be, really begin the process of healing. Because I, I need to, I need to move on. I, I, I'm wearing the, the 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 time is getting late. Let me move on here. Salt also, and, and many of you can recognize this property. Salt irritates. I know I'm irritating some of you right now. I'm irritating you because I'm salty. That's why. That's why I'm irritating you because I'm salty. But I want to tell you, it doesn't just medicate. It it also irritates. Mark 9 verse 49 said, uh, Jesus says, ye shall be salted with fire. Uh, well, that tells me that salt burns. And you're going to find out that, that when a preacher of the gospel preaches the salty gospel of Jesus Christ, it just might sting a bit. It just might burn a bit. When the gospel is rubbed into the open bleeding wounds of society, it's going to hurt just a little bit. Now, there are people who do not like this kind of preaching. They don't like the kind of preaching that I do, and I know this full well, but I can't make myself sick in order to make them better. I'm going to keep on preaching. No offense, no effect. People want a saltless gospel, but it's salt. Uh, when it's preached right, it'll cause you to begin to be irritated about the stuff in you that needs to come out of you. One man was questioning a man who had been brutally beaten. He said, would you describe your assailant? He said, no, sir. That's what I was doing when my assailant jumped on me. 
you'll get that at midnight. Keep thinking about it. Uh, what this world is going to do is the same thing to us when we take this book and we describe it to them uh, because salt irritates. It burns. And we need to stop trying to win popularity contests and stop being focused on making people happy and comfortable. I've told you for years, God is not committed to your comfortability. He's committed to your maturity and anyone that is mature knows the process of maturity is uncomfortable. It hurts sometimes. And to be quite frank, getting mature sometimes plainly sucks, but it's still the best thing for you. Ah, there's something else I want to tell you about salt. Salt also penetrates. I tell you, I tell you what it does. If you take a pinch of salt and you put it in a jug of water, it's gonna permeate all of that jug of water. You know what's wrong with us? We've not allowed salt to penetrate our heart. We come to church every Sunday and we sit in the big salt cellar of heaven and salt the salt, but you don't put the fish in one barrel and salt in another barrel. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth, not the salt of the church, but the salt of the earth. It's time for the salt of the church to get into the earth so we can do what salt was intended to do. Ah, but let me leave you with this. I, I want to I wanna tell you something. It breaks my heart to say it. Ah, but not only does salt penetrate, but salt also dissipates. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that salt can lose its savor. It can lose its bite. It can lose its pungency. It can lose its vitality. And Jesus said when the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Matthew 5 and 13. Now, the salt in Bible times was extremely valuable. Pure salt, I'm talking about pure salt. As a matter of fact, it was in some societies even more valuable than gold itself. Men were paid with salt. Have you ever heard the expression, that man's not worth his weight in salt, or that man's worth is salt? Our word salary literally means salt money. That's where we get our word salary from. Uh, some of you might not have known that, but they had salt uh, that they would get from the Dead Sea. Now let me tell you something. They would take this salt, they'd put this salt on the ground. The water would evaporate out. They would take that salt, but in that salt is a number of minerals. That salt is not as pure as the salt that we have today. And left on the ground, or left in the right conditions, after a while when the rain would fall on it and the earth would beat on it, that salt would blanch out and bleed away and left behind would be noxious minerals and the salt would lose its saltiness. It would lose its savor. So what could you do with it? Well, you'd put it in a well. If you put it in a well, it would poison the water. If you put it in the field, it would kill the crop. If you put it on food, it would poison the eater. What the could you do with it? Just one thing. You would put it on the highway so that it could be 
packed down and absorbed. It can be trodden under the feet. Ah, uh, you have to understand, uh, people of God, you were called to be salty, not saltless. Never before in history, at least in, uh, in my ministry, have I ever seen Christians held up to more open ridicule than they are held up in this day and in this time in which we are living. Uh, the favorite sport actually in today ain't basketball. Uh, it's Christian bashing. Uh, you, it's done everywhere. It's done in the media. It's done on, 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 on television, in, in newspapers, in uh, on the internet. It's done everywhere. And do you know why? It's done because the society that we live in is full of saltless saints, salt that has lost its savor and is now just being trampled and walked upon under the feet of the world because we failed to present the Lord Jesus Christ in his purity, in his integrity, and in his vitality. Yes, I believe in the grace of God, but holiness is still right. You've got to understand that you are exemplifying a reflection of a holy God. Ah, I want to call you as brothers and sisters in the church and say, God is helping us to become salty. We got to be salty saints so that we can do what God intended for us to do. And that was to present Christ into a saltless world because the, the world has no flavor. It needs real flavor. And the flavor is not of the month, uh, but the flavor of eternity is Jesus. And we need to present Jesus the way he is. Stop making wrong right and right wrong. Stop accepting every form. The Bible talks about in the last day, there would be preachers who would give you every kind of doctrine and every uh, kind of theology and that the church itself would actually be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. People of God, we've got to get ourselves back on track because the world needs what the song is created to do. You, people of God, are the salt that God has placed, that God has sprinkled in the earth to give the earth its flavor, to restore the earth, to penetrate the earth, to permeate the earth, to get in there and take care of the earth, to take out of the, the, the church, keeps taking the things of the world and bringing them into the church and incorporating them. And then we call it diversity. We've got to understand people of God that we are the salt of the earth. It's time for you to get salty. That means you don't take the junk of the world and bring it into you. You take your saltiness and you place it into the world so that the decontamination process can have an effect. Oh, I, I'm just excited about the word of God today. I hope that you got something out of the word of God today. I hope that it was a blessing to you. I thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, and if anyone asks you, what did the preacher say today? 
the preacher, the preachers told me I ought to be salty. You ought to just tell them I'm going to be salty. And then you can break it down for them and tell them why you're going to be salty. What being salty means. It don't mean I got an attitude with me, with you. Uh, salty means that I'm going to release something that's going to decontaminate you. That's Jesus. I'm going to re release something that's going to penetrate you. That's Jesus. I'm going to release something that's going to, uh, that's going to medicate you. That's Jesus. I'm going to release something that's going to be pure. It's going to be integral. It's going to be effective. It's not going to be sweetened. Oh, I'm not going to try to sweeten it and make it taste good. I'm going to tell you just like it is. It is what it is. Hallelujah. God bless you. Know that God loves you. He loves you uh, beyond your imagination. I'm praying for you. I'm speaking the life of God over you. And I, I hope and pray that this word ministers to you today. You have a blessed day and we look to see you next week. God bless you.